It's fun to be in church and uh, to worship. I want to say a big shout out to Maple Grove. Hello. How's our Maple Grove campus doing? Give it up for Maple Grove. Yeah. So glad to worship with you guys. And, uh, and here we're, we're two locations, but we're still one church family. And I love what God is doing in both of our campuses. We're in week number three of identity theft. And uh, as we've looked at this concept of identity theft, and, you know, Jesus has said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. We can see evidences of where the enemy has tried to steal and to kill and destroy and to take from us our identity, who we are in Christ, and the life that's promised through Christ. And then last week, we looked at how that plays out on a kind of a practical level of an everyday basis and how we live things out. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21, it says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And we looked at the fact, I had two coat racks up here. One was the old uh, clothes line and one was the new. And how on a daily basis we have an option of where we're going to go. Now we were rooted in the fact of knowing that in Jesus Christ, our spirit, when we give our lives to Jesus, we become new creations. We're absolutely new. We are in Jesus Christ. We're on our way to heaven, right? But our mind is still in the process of change. So we still kind of operate out of the old closet some, sometimes. We think the way we used to think. And much of the New Testament is about changing the way we think to think the way the Bible shows us and to follow what he has for us and what the, the Lord has for us. And we're to throw off the old, our speech and our thoughts and our reasoning habits and begin and take on the way that God has called us to live and to put on the new that he's, he's given us. And today's message title is The Spirit of David. We're going to look at two stories. I want you to grab your Bibles. How many have your Bibles? Let me see your Bibles. Put them up. Electronic and paper. Doesn't matter. Okay. Important material. 2 Samuel 6. 2 Samuel 6, about verse 12. I'm going to get there in just a moment. Let me give you a background of a story that we're going to walk into. David, King David, is one of the most profound, prolific uh, leaders in all of Scripture. In fact, David was uh, the story where he was just a little boy and, and God noticed him out in the field when he called him to be a king and he was anointed to be a king but he didn't become a king right away and kind of went through a, a sideways journey and served in the King Saul's household but King Saul was trying to kill him and he was on the run for his life and it was a number of years before he became the actual king and then, of course, David has this heart that's after God because something happened to him when he was out in the field and he was singing to God and he was connected to God. And, uh, and, and he had this kind of unique connection to what was important to God. And one of those things that was important to God was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you've seen uh, Indiana Jones, uh, the first Indiana Jones movie, there was one about the Ark of the Covenant. It actually had some parallels to Scripture, though they... I, wouldn't say that's a biblical movie. Uh, but w what the Old Testament shows us is that God had instructed the Israelites to fashion or to make this Ark of the Covenant. It was a, a, an actual box in which key artifacts, Ten Commandments, that kind of thing, were inside 
of the Ark of the Covenant. And what was unique about the Ark of the Covenant is it represented the presence of God. As a matter of fact, the presence of God was associated with the Ark of the Covenant. It was a very important part, the central force uh, connecting part of all of Israel. And as the Ark of the Covenant was formed, it went across out of the, 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 uh, the desert and into the promised land and was with the tribes of Israel. But the time came when Israel's heart wandered away from God and God allowed the enemies of Israel to take over Israel. And they, they, when, they, when they were beaten in, in, in battle, the, the Ark was taken from them. And so the Ark was outside of Israel. And so David, as he becomes king in 2 Samuel, you'll see that David's heart is still, still to see that ark in Jerusalem, which is the city of God. And Jerusalem is also known as the city of David. Much like we would associate Philadelphia as the city of brotherly love, Jerusalem was associated as a city that was connected to King David. And David had gone through this long journey to get the ark back. In fact, on the journey back to Jerusalem, uh, the ark was uh, uh, tipped over and somebody tried to steady it and uh, he died because you can't touched the presence of God, and it was such a holy thing. And so it, the, the ark was actually parked in a place called Obed-Edom's household, and now David is about to bring the ark from Obed-Edom into Jerusalem. It's a historic moment. It's the only thing I could kind of compare it to a little bit was in 1991, I came here as a college student uh, from Michigan to Minnesota, and it was that fall that the Minnesota Twins won the World Series. And they had just won it in 1987, and then they won it four years later in 1991. It was my first year here. I don't know anything about Minnesota. I'm not a diehard Minnesota Twins fan, but I'm telling you, the city was rocking. And I was at North Central University. I was staying in the dorms, and I remember uh, as I heard the roar come out of the roof of the dome, and the place was going nuts. They win the World Series. And then all of the entire city showed up on the streets of Minneapolis. I mean, hundreds of thousands of students are coming over from the University of Minnesota and people were coming from everywhere. They're in the streets and they're partying. They're hanging from signs. They're walking up and down. And I jumped in just to have fun. And I'm walking down the street, high-fiving people, enjoying the time. I'm not even a Minnesota Twins fan. I'm like, this is just a party, man. This is fun. And I'm telling you all those things that they say about Minnesota about how people aren't expressive in our Scandinavian culture. It all went out the window that night. People were partying. They were dancing. They were shouting. There was music. There was no cars in the street because people were everywhere. And it was an absolute blast. What you see in the story we're about to read is exactly like that. Because now the ark is coming home, and now everybody is exultant. They're feeling excited. It is a moment that bonded everyone. And, of course, David is super excited because his heart's cry was to please God. And to have what God wanted to have happen was now coming, coming into play. And so let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 6. It says this, so David went there. And into Obed Edom, and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. 
After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. And so David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. Can you get the picture? But as, everybody said but. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, who was also David's wife, looked down from her window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in his place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And she said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. I'm gonna get the idea that this is one unhappy wife. David retorted to Michal. Now, this is not uh, how you resolve conflict, by the way, what David says, but David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord and who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes, but those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Now I want to look at this story today as a contrast not between genders. This is not a boys versus girls text. Not for the sake of whether or not uh, um, uh, kingship and royalty have it better than somebody that was born as a shepherd. I'm not, I, I'm not gonna contrast that. What I wanna look at is the heart and the content of these two people. You see, there are two different vantage points going on in the same story. David was free. He was so free he danced, he was shouting, he was pumped. God had accepted him, but his experience didn't mean that it was all great. He had gone through rejection and he had gone through pain for decades before this moment. He had gone through extreme silence and loneliness. He was rejected by his dad and his brothers and the current king, King Saul, when he was younger. And he didn't care what anyone thought he was zoned in on the presence of God, this moment with the ark entering Jerusalem. He was locked in on this. Even though he had all the other junk in his life, he was secure, and he didn't have to act or to worry about making a mistake. I want you to catch something here. In David, there's a freedom. You hear it in his statements like, I'll become even more foolish. I don't, I don't care what you think. He's not worried about acceptance and he's not trying to impress anybody. He is free. And it's not about the station or position. Well, of course, he could be free. He was a king. No, that's not what we're talking about here. 
He wasn't, he was free at every stage of his journey. And by the time he get to this point, you see him free. So it's not based on his status and whether he was married or not. It wasn't based on whether or not he had enough money. It wasn't based on whether or not people respected him. He was absolutely free. And the other vantage point, you have up in a window looking down his wife. And Michal was bitter and she was angry. She had something in her heart was the opposite of being free. She was a victim. She was embarrassed. She had unresolved anger. And there was something exploded out of her onto her husband. Did you know, I believe this statement is true many times, but hurt people hurt people. And the beauty of today's message is that free people will free people too. Now, Michal obviously didn't care about God's presence. Here, underneath her window, is the ark of God's presence. The very one who could set her free was not her husband, but the one her husband was worshiping. And she was so consumed that she missed the power who could set her free walk right underneath her window. Where did her attitude come from? How did she get like this? Well, one of the clues is early on in her life, her dad was rejected by God. You see, Saul, King Saul, had done the wrong things as king. He didn't obey God, didn't do what God told him to do. And so God rejected him, 1 Samuel 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough. For Saul, I have rejected him as king of Israel. Rejected him. So he's rejected his ride was going to be over and eventually was. And the amazing thing about rejection is rejection produces bad behavior out of people. And in Saul's case, his rejection was passed on to his daughter. Now, I think that we live in a rejected Mikal generation. We're, we're bothered, we're frustrated, and we have a lot of parents, but not a lot of fathers and mothers. We have people who don't feel like they fit in, like something internally is wrong with them or something. And people who are like that do crazy, stupid things. When you feel like you don't have acceptance or you don't know who you are, you don't have your identity, sometimes you do crazy, stupid things. Teenagers and young adults and older adults do stupid things crying out for attention and approval. They, they get, get involved in sexual activity that's outside of God's best. They, the alcohol and drug abuse can get a hold of them. They, people dive into relationships that destroy them, hoping that somehow that next relationship will solve what they feel on the inside. Mikael's father was rejected. And sometimes the curse of rejection is passed on from one generation to the next. And the compromise of one generation often becomes the lifestyle of the next. The compromise of one generation often becomes the lifestyle of the next. Many people who are living under that kind of spirit, that rejection, that victimhood, believe the rejection and they accept it as who they are. It becomes a part of their identity. They become that victim, and ultimately, Mike Michal became one who had undergone identity theft. She had joined her father's status. So let me give you five symptoms to know that you might or you might not have a Michal spirit, okay? So if you want to take the thermometer out and stick it underneath your tongue, we're gonna take the temperature today. So here's the first one. 
The first one is this. You might have the symptom of a meek health spirit if it's all about you. You know, when things are going good and people treat you good, everything's good. When things are going bad and people don't treat you right, it's bad. So you base it on you. If everything is all based on how you feel, it's all about you, you might have a Mikael spirit. Somebody talked about me. They said something behind my back. You suck the air out of the room because it's all about you. I didn't like the sermon today. Pastor wasn't talking to me. Church must be bad. Because it's all about you. You might totally miss the fact that God is reaching other people in the room, but you don't care about it because it's all about you. It's like the old song in the church. It's all about me, Jesus. <laughs> That's what kind of, you might have a Mikael spirit. Secondly, you can't listen to others' other struggles without telling them how you had it worse. You know, people that have a Mikael spirit, they're kind of like, Somebody's telling you what's going on. Oh, yeah, well, I had it worse. You know, you, you have your uh, surgery story. You try to share your surgery story with somebody else, and they go, oh, I got one better than that. <laughs> That's never happened to anybody here, right? <laughs> people that have that, by the way, lose empathy for other people's needs. The third symptom is you can't change because it's always someone else's fault. You're walking around and I would change if they would do something. My husband would be different. Things I would be different. Or if they would just stop and ask for forgiveness, I can get over it. And we're in victimhood. We're waiting around for somebody else to change. That bitterness goes in us. I believe that statement. I don't know who came up with it, but bitterness is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Waiting for someone else to change. Fourth symptom, you can't stand to be around free people. You can't stand to be around free people. Michal hated David. She hated him. Verse 16, when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. Something in her heart was like, <sighs> it was like a slithering something or other coming out of her. I don't know. I think all of us at different points, insecurity pops up and we, we feel good about ourselves, but if we see somebody that's super free, we might in our own hearts have to deal with this very issue because we look at someone else and our first thought might be, well, she's not that good. I know who he really is. And we want to bring them down to size so that they're like us. But they're free and we're not. Really, we should be able to celebrate what's going on and desire to be free ourselves. People can expose our insecurity when their success threatens us. And let me mention this too. Some of you are searching for mentors in your life. Often, the mentors that you really need are the ones that are free in ways that you're not. And you've gotta be willing to approach people that are fr more free than you are in some ways. And if you don't watch it, the, the spirit of Michal will keep you from approaching those mentors.
The fifth one is this, and I'm done with symptoms. You lack fruit in your life. Now, in this case, Michal is somebody that's a human being. She's a woman. And the ultimate pronouncement anecdote or this little footnote to her life because she had a bad spirit, because she was filled with rage, says in verse 23, so Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Now, by the way, I'm not saying people that want to have kids have a spirit of Michal. There's no connection, and there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But for this one woman, it was almost a statement about her entire life. Her spirit was shriveling up. She was becoming something, someone that sucked the life out of a room. She couldn't celebrate the life of her husband, and she couldn't celebrate what God was doing around her. She was becoming bitter. And you know what? We can become barren spiritually. We can, we can be at a point where we can't pray or we have a difficulty worshiping, or we can't tell people about Jesus, and we can become bitter and angry and hard to be around, and we can feel like an outsider to the life of Christ looking through the window. That's really where Michal was. Remember back in verse 16, it says, but as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. She was on the outside looking in. Why wasn't she on the street? Why wasn't she worshiping with the rest of Israel? Because what had happened to her is she had kind of shriveled up. She had gone down a path where her spirit was so self-consumed, so full of the curse, so full of taking the bait of Satan to be a victim that she didn't even notice the freedom that was just a few feet from her. She missed it. Now, all of this is difficult, but let me tell you, we have good news because you don't have to have the spirit of Michal. You don't have to remain with the spirit of Michal, but the spirit of David is available. The spirit of freedom is available. I believe you have a choice whether or not you have a spirit of David or the spirit of Michal, which is bitter and barren. You see, David, he too was rejected. When Samuel came to his house to anoint the next king in 1 Samuel 16, David's dad didn't even consider his son to meet the prophet. He was overlooked. Anybody here ever feel overlooked? He was overlooked and then he spent vast amount of times being lonely out in the field with sheep. He was a shepherd. Now Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. But let's just talk practical work job stuff. David had to get up in the morning and leave with sheep. And he'd get out there with sheep for days on end. And can you imagine what it's like? You're starting to just talk. Hey, Jim, Bob, you're starting to name them. What's up, Sally Ann? You know, you're naming the sheep. Those are your best friends, right? It was lonely, and he's anointed to be king, and he's out taking care of sheep, and he's looking at all these things. He's going through deep loneliness, and then when he is anointed king, and then he gets this job to uh, take down Goliath, he takes down Goliath, then he's in the household of the king Saul and sings to him. He's still always kind of on the outside. He's always rejected. He's kind of good, but not good enough. He couldn't get in, and then eventually King Saul is throwing spears at him, coming after him, and David has to leave his country, and he has to act like a madman. They threw him in a psychiatric ward because of, 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 of how he had to act. He was, it was bizarre. 
And you look at David, you go, that's not freedom. Freedom's not based on your circumstances. Freedom's not based on your station of life and whether things go great or go bad. You can be free in prison. Come on, somebody. You can be free in difficult circumstances. You can have your body given up on you. And you still can be free. And at the same time, you can have the whole world. You can have everything you want. You can have the perfect body to everybody else and still be despised inside. You can still feel like you're not good enough. You can still have that rejection on you. When I was a youth pastor, I, I, I used to watch and some, some of the, the kids in the schools and the systems around here, some of the most beautiful young ladies who had great promise and hope would get caught up in eating disorders and other things because they felt like they were not good enough. Rejection is a vile thing that wants to come like the thief to steal, kill, and destroy you. So I'm not saying your circumstances determine any of that. Really what determines it is what you do with the emotion that's in your head and your heart when you're feeling that insecurity and you have that unresolved anger and pain that causes you to do bad things. Instead, what you can do is what David did. David was free because he discovered how to bring his insecurities to the Lord. He took it, he had what everybody else has, but he found a way to bring it to the Lord. His identity was shaped by God in the field when he learned to sing, to connect with the real father who adopted him. Romans chapter eight, verse 15 says, those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God and the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. You know what I love about David? He connected with the big F Father. He was connected to the God of the universe. It wasn't just about his dad, Jesse. It was about the big dad that oversaw his life and he was adopted into the royal family. Satan, he wants to, to, to make us take the bait of being offended and the rejection and let it go inwardly. Satan wants us to be victims, but you are not a victim. And I tell you today, don't take the bait. Instead, take what you're experiencing and take it to God. You know what David did? David became so free that no one could shut him down, not even his own family. And what he learned is he sang. He sang while he was out in the field. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Lord, Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So what did he do, and how did the Spirit enter? Well, David, while he was out in the field, he would just sing to the Lord. He'd sing about everything. Read the Psalms, and you'll see he sang about everything. Lord, thank you for helping me beat my enemies. You're awesome. And the next breath, the very next psalm, Lord, the water's up to my neck and I'm sinking. Where are you? He would talk about every experience of life. He had a song, and I'm not talking about a song like a melody. I'm talking about a song that had a connection with God. It was like a regular rhythm that he found with the father out in the field where he would sing to God about everything. I imagine when he was a little kid, he would sing out to the Lord, Lord, my dad doesn't like me. He likes my brothers more than me. He forgets about me. He sends me out with cheese to take care of them, and then I got to go back to the, the sheep. What the heck, Lord, you know? 
I'm sure he's saying his real thoughts. I, I, I'm sure he's saying it out to the Lord, whatever he was going through. By the time he started growing up and he left the sheep, and now he was on a different journey and he got a job in the military, and he was singing in the king's court, and he was involved in incredible, important things. And I, I, I bet he was beginning to sing, Lord, thank you for bringing me to this place, but why don't they like me? And why does Saul keep throwing his spears at me? He vented his insecurities, his frustrations, his worry to God. He went over Saul's head. Are you hearing me? See, sometimes I think that we look at people like David in the Bible and we go, man, he's a superhuman figure. He was not a, he was, he was messed up. He didn't do everything right, but one thing he did right, and this is why he was called a man after God's own heart, he sang everything out to God. And when he did, it took the junk out of his heart and it replaced it with the freedom in his soul. He was able to sing out, Lord, my best friend turned his back on me. Kill him. You read it. Crush his teeth. Turn him over to the enemy, right? You know why he could sing that way? Because he knew he could take literally everything everything before the Lord and his song became a part of his rhythm with heaven and God took the junk out of his heart when he verbalized it to God. He took it out of his heart and replaced it with the freedom. You can take your worst of your worst thoughts to God. You can sing it to him. Everybody says sing a song. Then he danced. See he danced on his enemy, on his fear. He danced before God. His back to the crowd and his face to the presence of God. He submitted everything to God. God, this is what I'm going through. And he danced on it. He danced on his fears. He danced on his insecurity. He danced on those things that seemed overwhelming. And as he faced the presence of God, the things behind him didn't bother him and he didn't worry. Listen, people that can do that in public, like in the leadership role like he's in, are people that have been doing it in private for a long time. They learn to connect and communicate with God. And they can sing and they can dance. One thing I like about dancing is in Minnesota, you think, well, Scandinavians, we're not expressive people, we don't dance. I watched you dance. That time in the World Series, when I saw all these Scandinavians shouting and dancing, they could dance when they really feel like it. When it comes to dancing, there's something that happens. There's a rhythm. When you dance with another individual, there's something going back and forth. They take a step, you take a step. They take a step, you take a step. David wasn't dancing by himself. He was dancing with the Lord. And there was something that occurred in him, that rhythm that enabled him to tackle the things in his life. And listen, because he submitted everything to God, God brought him freedom. And submission and freedom go hand in hand. You don't give God your Sunday and take the next six days a week for yourself and expect to be free. You give God your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and you come in here. It's the overflow of the freedom of your own mind and your heart. Church, we need a David spirit. Intimacy and security in the Father releases us to love big and risk being rejected. I think as a church, that's our expression to the world. 
Our security in the Father can help us love the unlovable, to push past the fear of rejection, and embrace the very people that Jesus gave his life for. When I was uh, a college student, first came here that same year, 1991, I was an oddball. I came from the state of Michigan. The culture was different. I was different. And I remember coming to, to North Central, and I lived on the third floor of Carlson Hall, and I didn't know anybody. And I was, I felt odd. I felt weird. I had to go find a new church. I mean, you know, some of you guys have been here in this church for a long time, but not everyone has. Some of you that come, it's hard to find a church home, isn't it? It, it is, just to feel like your place and you're wanted and I sure hope that we're a church that embraces new people. Come on. Don't, don't do us foreign no more. Don't make your circle. And you need to embrace people that are around you. Anyhow, I was, I was just, I felt odd. I felt weird. And uh, I was trying to find a new rhythm. I had left everything I'd known in Michigan, and I'd come to Minnesota. I was in classes, and I started attending Emmanuel as a youth leader and, uh, and I was just, but I didn't feel like I was home and I was bothered and I didn't know what I was gonna be when I grew up. I didn't know what to do. And it seemed like everybody else was more talented than me and everybody else had more connections than me. I was just outside. And I remember I would go and I was lonely. I missed home. Yes, I got homesick. I was home and I, I missed it. So I went to the, the back stairwell and they had a little prayer room on the third floor of Carlson Hart prayer room. And I closed the door and I got in and I would just sit, and sometimes I would rock and pray, but I would start talking to God, and I'd go, God, I don't get it, especially like on, on Halloween that fall. You remember Halloween, uh, 1991, 32 inches of snow or whatever it was, and one day I'm like, I fr- God had sent me to prison. I was in Siberia or something. I didn't know what it was. And I remember I was just praying, and I would pray out, God, I love you. I know you brought me this far, but I don't feel it. And I would just start talking to him. And guess what developed? I developed a rhythm with him. And as I started singing to the Lord, as I started connecting to the Lord, as I was interrelated with the Lord, God did something powerful in me. And pretty soon I started feeling him. And as I sang, the spirit of the Lord became a part of that third floor prayer room and the spirit of the Lord brought freedom. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? So I'd like to ask our worship teams on both campuses to come forward.